0: This serves as a content warning. The topic of death and self-harm will be discussed. Please take the necessary precautions to take care of yourself and sensitive listeners. If you or someone else you know needs help, please consider the resources at the end of this show. Take care now. Welcome to the Cosmic Hype Podcast. This is Reverend Carmen D. Player, and hype means have your perspective elevated. This is our origin story episode probably about two. And I wanted to take this opportunity to kind of bring you in and provide an invitation to understand who is this person, Carmen D. Player, and what is this cosmic hype? What is this all about? What is the hype about the hype? As always, everything that I offer an invitation, whether it's in conversation or in the offerings that Spirit has given to me that I'm giving to you, they're given with compassion and with love and with grace for all of us to grow and evolve So take what serves you and leave what doesn't. But please do so with compassion and love, the same that's given to you. So where does this whole story begin? So as I said before, my name is Carmen uh, D. Player. And I guess the best way to kind of start talking about who I am is my mission, my soul commission here on Earth. Well, I'm a revolutionary of compassion and love. I make a cosmic hype, a positive disturbance in the places I've been given. And what does that mean? Well, it looks like in a daily day, learning and living and being and navigating and exploring myself as I interact with others. I believe I'm affirming God and I get an opportunity to touch God and do so because we live in this world that would tell us everything but the entire truth about our being in a lot of ways. And so I believe that if we just give ourselves some tenderness and some love and some accountability to move forth into our best and highest self to embrace that being because that being's already there. I believe that, well, our world can be a lot different. So how does this story start with me? I grew up in a small town in uh, Georgia. Well, it was a small town back in nineteen (laughs) eighty. All that being said, it's a a small town right outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And at the time, uh, I grew up with two parents You know, two brothers, and we went to church. Of course, we went to church every Wednesday, Saturday, sometimes for choir practice, and, of course, for Sunday school and Sunday church service. Mom was in the choir. My dad was a deacon. That was our life for like 11 years, right? We always knew the Lord. We always went to church, so on and so forth. And, well, right around 11th grade, or excuse me, 11 years old in sixth grade, my world started to change a lot. My parents got divorced. People were starting to die. Life was happening, and I didn't understand. But there was something still within my little self. I always felt uh, something stirring in my soul whenever I went to church. I oftentimes felt like an outsider at church, but I didn't quite understand or know why it was that I was kind of like on the margins of everyone else but I knew I was and I would understand as I got older why that was the case. Well, in those moments when there's like hymns and scripture and everything, I was just like really enthralled with like church with the with the text and what was saying being said in the in the pulpit. The songs moved me. And there's something that I could feel that I couldn't quite understand at a young age that was so tangible. It was now I understand that it was more like the the love of God. Let's pause for a second, okay? Um, As a black, non-binary, queer person, a trans person, who has had a lot of spiritual experiences and a lot of church traumas and the sort, I want to offer this invitation just for consideration. You don't have to accept it. God is hard or prickly. Please feel free to exchange it for another word. If it's love, if it's universe, if it's spirit, I will often use the language of spirit because that's the word that helps me to identify with the oneness of all that is holy, that is universal, that is beyond this physical being, beyond this physical experience, that I feel stirring within me, that God protects, and takes me, covers me, that wishes to express through and ask me. So when I say God, when I say God, I hope. I recognize and I hold in gentleness that there's a lot of feelings around God. I get it. I'm still working on my own feelings around God, to be quite honest. And that's part of like why this whole experience of creating a podcast actually came about. And so going back to what I was saying, I just wanted to have that caveat of like when you hear God and spirit, and I recognize it might be prickly, but if you could just be a little bit open, hopefully something that I'm, I'm, allowing to come through and ask me, uh, will also provide some healing. Um, yeah. So that's, that's that moment. So going back to it, when I was in church and doing all these different things, um, I was, I never didn't like going to church. I enjoyed sermons. I enjoyed the choir. I felt a lot of spirit. I felt a lot of love. It was, it was, as I think a lot of folks probably have experienced, it was a lot of the human things, a lot of the legal, legalese stuff, a lot of the dogma and stigma and different things like that, that would prevent me from having a full experience with God in the way that I knew on a deeper soul level. What did that look like? Well, if you went into my town, this was back in the nineties, right? There is a predominant Baptist church and I grew up Baptist in the South. I wouldn't necessarily say Southern Baptist like the convention, but a Southern Baptist and all the implications thereof. Um, but there was another predominant Baptist church that would have white crosses on their lawns throughout the year, and it was supposed to symbolize X number of babies that were aborted. And it was jarring. Even as a young person, it just felt so. It felt like a direct opposite of what I thought that cross was supposed to mean. Something about that just felt extremely prickly. Like, I, I, it, something didn't sit right. Like, I had a dissonance every year when they would put it up there. I was like, why are they using the cross to represent? babies that are born. And I understand from a cultural standpoint that when when people pass and transition and things like that, we oftentimes put crosses there for tombstones or remembrance and things like that. But there's something that I couldn't quite name that I didn't quite understand because the way that I understood the cross and Jesus and things like that was that that was an expression of unconditional love, of unconditional love. But I couldn't help but feel like every single one of those crosses were just like a judgment or it felt like Um, looking down on people, or it felt like there should be shame when you look upon these or something. And it just felt like it wasn't quite right. Something about that did not resonate with the most simple scripture that I knew back then. And that, and probably even still now, is that God is love. That didn't feel like love. And so further examples. Um, In the church that I was in, also Baptist and Southern Baptist, it was there's some really good people there, really good people, loving people, individuals who uh, always looked upon me with sweet and gentle eyes and a gentle heart, uh, who looked out for me and my family and times were tough and rough. And there were also people and families that felt like they kind of ran things, you know what I mean? And we weren't one of those. We weren't one of those families. Um, We were I think we kind of had like social graces uh, because of what my mom does. She's a a midwife and she was like the only black midwife in this small town. So most of this county, anybody black in this county, probably my mother delivered them or uh, helped to take care of them at some time or another in their lives, their children's lives or grandchildren's lives. So that was automatic. We love, we love that part of the family, Cynthia. My dad was a coach and probation officer and a deacon in the sort. So like our family, um, was a part of the church community oh p.s my mother also can sing sang sang it down right she went to school at Tuskegee on a voice scholarship and so um you have this individual who uh is loving and 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 nurturing and beautiful and um beautiful voice and and a dad who was uh, pretty much present in the sort. But when it came to like our position in church and our voice in church, it didn't feel like, and this is all my perspective, right? Um, it didn't feel as though we were one of those families that wielded any kind of anything, right? Not that I wanted to, but that's just an observation. And that felt like that was the case up until when I was like 11 and 6th graders, The so and um, I started to have a real shift. Uh, part of that, as I said before, is that my parents got divorced, people were passing away. And what happened with the church was that I was, as I was getting older and I was throwing myself into like the Bible because I was, I was there, I was in it. I was memorizing scriptures. I was sweating over about praying, going to Bible studies, all this stuff, right? Um, is that there were some pretty blatant kind of disregard for, Different types of humans in the church and their position and their voice by this at that time, like specifically like women in the pulpit, like there was not going to be a woman who was going to be leading any aspect of church from the pulpit at that church unless it was like a Women's Day program or if it was the Deaconess board, which is all women, or the mother's board, which is all women. they could absolutely lead vacation Bible school and the church, so on and so forth. But when it came to like leadership and making decisions on the church, at least again from my perspective, I never saw a woman, a female assigned female at birth individual praying, preaching from the pulpit as a reverend, as a pastor, as a minister. It might have been like maybe a disciple, an evangelist so on and so forth, but never a pastor. And that was always really prickly to me. And so then what ended up happening is that I started like reading the Bible and learning more. And I'm an intellectual kind of person. I like to think, I like to look at words. I like to understand further how this book and these rules and this belief system really applied to life. And I couldn't quite figure it out. And so that was 11, 11 years old to um, who knows how long. Ninth grade, probably. Uh, and I was continually trying to figure out, like, what, what is this spirituality thing that was happening? But once I started to get into ninth grade, something started to happen that... I didn't quite expect, right? So like when I was a little kid, I definitely had a crush on a couple of girls. I won't say their names because I don't know how they'll feel about it. Uh, And I tried my best as much as possible to not really look at girls or think about them or have this attraction to them because I was Baptist and Southern. What we all know is that being gay was sinful. That was an abomination to God, uh, and would warrant hell. That's what, that's what was taught, right? This is unnatural so on and so forth. So I knew that this thing that I was feeling and experiencing could not exist in me. At least I believe that there's no way that I could be a Christian and have these kind of feelings. And so from around middle school, I started praying about it, right? Like really like, uh, I don't know. Um, uh, God, please take this away from me. Fortunately, middle school was already fraught with all kinds of stuff because I physically was not this being that you see before you. But I was, you know, a, a heavyweight kid with with not so great hair, I had a jerry curl, a unibrow. And by that time, because life was happening what it was, we didn't have a lot of money. Right. And so my clothes re- reflected that I didn't wear the fashionable clothes in the sort, but I was nice and I was smart and I didn't cause trouble. Right. So I just kind of was just in the radar of just in, in between. And by the time I got to high school and hormones are doing what they're doing, bodies are changing, I was now playing basketball. I was not a a kid that looked like they were going to be picked on. And I started to get, you know, more popular and the sort. But I really, really got deeply into like, FCA, which is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and Bible Club, and Y Club, and all these different Christian-based uh, clubs and organizations, and oftentimes being in like, the leadership positions within there, heavily involved, see you at the polls, so on and so forth. And all the while, I was struggling. I knew I was gay, queer. I had full-on attraction to girls in my high school. The ones that I I went to, I I knew that this was the case. This was not something that was going to go away. I tried. I tried everything. I prayed. I fasted. I self-harmed to try to get this gay out of me as much as possible because I knew that there's no way that I could be a Christian and follow God and still be this person. There's such great dissonance. And so, like, on the outside, it seemed like, I'm sure in high school at least, it might have seemed like I was fun and gregarious. I was in band and hanging on. It was the darkest time and being isolated in a way, because there weren't queer folks in my high school that was really open. Uh, there were like rumors in the sort from a few people, but no one that was actually like, to at least on my radar and consciousness that I could be in community with and be a high schooler and be queer, you know what I mean? And kind of, um, venture into like exploring ourselves, like within ourselves, like being okay with being ourselves and have a community in that way and be clear. And so there was not an example of like this type of freedom or liberation, or even an example of how to be a Christian and to be queer. And so I knew I had to suppress and mask that as much as possible. And I think that the most effective way that I did so is that I played the, the academic card really well, or, uh, that I was preoccupied with like different clubs or sports or different things like that. So like dating wasn't really on my radar and like the couple of guys I went to prom with were just like friends, right? So it worked out really well. I could avoid it. And thank goodness for this little thing in the 90s called uh, True Love Weights. True Love Weights, small caveat. True Love Weights, I don't know. Maybe there's a couple of queer folks can identify with this, but True Love Weights was like this whole uh, propaganda, I'm sorry, this whole campaign that happened, um, in the early two thousands, I guess I was in high school in which you went to like this kind of like an assembly, uh, and you pledged to keep yourself a virgin until married. And you signed that pledge and everything else like that. Some people got like rings and all this other stuff. True love waits. I bless and appreciate that because that means that this closeted queer didn't have to have a boyfriend. True love waits. Thanks. Look, God will bless you even in the mess. Um, And so I was trying to figure out how could I be queer and be holy. And that dissonance was great. It was terrible. I was dying many a deaths, spiritually, emotionally, and almost physically a couple of times. And it was the most distant that I had ever felt from God, though I was acting as close to God as possible. I was doing all the, all, all the performance, all the performances for folks to see that I'm not queer. I might be a tomboy, but I'm definitely a Christian, right? And I was dying. I was, I was dying. It was painful. And so I went to college. I went to a predominantly white institution again in rural Georgia and it was really hard to still continue to struggle with my gender expression, with my sexual orientation and with my spirituality. And I went to church still, I would go back home sometimes and go to church and I would still feel like this dissonance, right? And There was a time when I just saw different things within the church that just hurt so much because it didn't make sense to me that people that could be practicing spirituality, religion in the name of God could treat people in such a manner. The way that I could hear people treating folks who were queer on my campus, who called themselves Christian, was, it kept me closeted right, in a lot of ways, or at least I thought I was being closeted. By that time, I was, I had distanced myself from God in a lot of ways because I couldn't find or figure out a place or a life in which I could be fully and wholly expressed, that I could be so enthralled in my spirituality and not feel like there was a constant In continual shadow and Leviathan of being damned for all of eternity for who I am. As much as I am black, I am queer. There's no separating it. It, It's just what it is. I've tried. I've tried to pray. I've tried to fast. I've tried to fake the funk. And here I am still queer. And there's nothing that I could do about it. There's nothing that I could do about it. And so at a certain point, I chose in college in particular to continue to be heavily involved with different Christian activities and the sort. Meanwhile, I had a full on relationship with a, a older person, a woman who is 12, 12, 15 years older than I am. And that was a pivotal time, right? Because it's not that I had anyone that I could actually speak to about what I was going through in this experience of being in a relationship with an older person. At that time, I was like 19 or the sort. And at that time, I had decided that I'd much rather be who I am and not die than deal with a God that would have me go to hell for who I am. I was like, I can't change this. I've tried changing this. At this time, by that time, almost 10 years or so, right? Tried changing this and it didn't go away. So the only thing that I could change was how I felt about God. And so it was a lot of dissonance. It was a lot of conflicting behaviors and actions during that time, because while I was still doing that, I was still involved with a lot of Christian-based elements, but I wasn't really connected to God. While I wasn't really connected to God, I still experienced God in different ways, like in nature and different relationships and communities and the sort, but I still felt so deeply alone and while I felt like I was very deeply alone, I also felt extremely isolated and then was in a relationship just with an older person. It didn't even matter that this was a, a person of the same gender, but with an older person who just wasn't healthy for me. And so I formed a lot of my spiritual identity with all of these different amalgams. And it I carried that tempest in the tea kettle, just a lot of confusion and never being enough and never... Um, having the tools or the space to actually think about and process evolving and growing. And my sexual identity with my spirituality, that was not a conversation that was being had. I didn't have queer elders. I didn't have anyone I could refer to or reference or anything like that. And so while I was in this Tempest and a kettle experience, I was just living life and trying to trying to maintain and survive. Meanwhile, it just felt like I was just getting smaller and smaller. And I was was becoming less of who I was. And I was trying to be everything that I thought the church and God wanted me to be, or at least how the church told me God wanted me to be. And I was just continually left with massive questions. How can I be queer and holy? How can I be queer and holy? What's it going to take for me to be seen and accepted by God? Can I be queer and whole? How can I be a whole individual, all of who I am fully expressed, and also be holy? So we'll sit with that for next time. Until then, please know that you are whole, you are holy, and you are worthy. This has been a Cosmic Hype Moment. Have your perspective elevated right on to the bridal. on